I uh, totally agree with you, Jason. I think, you know, Corey could come up here and probably preach this sermon. You know, we'll have Lacey. You guys could all do this, man. I love that song. That was wonderful. That's exactly where we're going today. Hey, last week, kind of we're continuing on uh, from last week. And if you weren't here last week, really uh, try to keep it simple, stupid, all right? And I don't know how successful I was with that, um, but we'll attempt again. But we're really talking about goals. Um, and really, as a Christian, where is God leading me? Uh, what is he trying to do in and through me? What are, uh, where are we aiming as Christians, as followers of Christ? And we really looked at that, the telos. Um, where is, 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 is God's word leading us, and, and what is God doing inside of us? And we really tried to hit on that. And I'll just kind of, some quick highlights from last week. I won't get into it too much because we have new material. But again, I think you cannot talk about Jesus' goal and his will for your life without talking about Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom. Um, you know, reading through Matthew, kind of like Lacey, you think uh, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, what does he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then what's the next thing? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's so important and so critical to to our goal as Christians, as followers of Christ, uh, this kingdom, to partake in this kingdom, to allow this kingdom to grow in our hearts, uh, to work towards this kingdom. Um, we saw that as critically important to Jesus' ministry here on earth, and we see that especially when it comes to what we might call the rules, the Sermon on the Mount, the do's and the don'ts, but you can say the whole New Testament. All these things, we know there's a certain kind of way we are to behave as Christians. I think, uh, golly, it's, it's so prevalent and so ingrained into us. Christians do this, Christians don't do that. And uh, really the implicit point that I'm going to try to hit on again this week is that it's so easy for us to make these rules the end goal. It's so easy to make my entire life now as a Christian is just becoming a great rule follower. And that's it. I'm just trying to keep myself holy for the day that I either die or Jesus comes back. And I think that misses the mark just a little bit. Now I'm trying to hit a bullseye. Boy, the bullseyes can be small. and It can be real easy to go one way or the other. So again, the question I kind of gave to myself was this. And I'm going to try to answer it as best as I can today. How can we follow the rules, okay, obey God's word, without elevating them to the number one end goal of my life as a Christian? Does that make sense? How can I follow? Because again, I will say this many times over, rules matter. The do's and the don'ts matter. It's not just like, you know what, live however you want, just as long as you love Jesus and love other people, no big deal. No, no, no. That is not what I'm saying. It matters that we follow God. It matters that we obey. It matters that we take his word seriously. It matters, it matters, it matters. But I think if we elevate that to the tippy top and that my whole life is just about becoming this great rule follower, then I think we also miss the mark. So how can we follow the rules, obey God well, faithfully, and yet not make it the end goal? That's what I'm trying to answer this morning. It's tough. I'm a rule follower. I kid you not how many times I talk about rules last week. I was like, oh, Lee, do I? I think I'm just, you know, PTSD from my old rule following days, you know, getting into this. This is tough to talk this way. But I think there's truth here, all right? So this is what it comes down to, all right? First point. I think
think it boils down to insecurity and identity, okay? How can we follow God's rules? How can we obey him without elevating them to the number one? I think inevitably we have to address insecurity and identity, all right? When it comes to God's purpose, undoubtedly it begins with God's kingdom. It's not about you and me first and foremost, but it is eventually will come down to our hearts. And insecurities in our hearts, identity issues in our hearts, will have to be addressed. Will have to be addressed. So let's start here and let's work through it. Let's start here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Man, what a biggie. What a just, you know, a shot of wheatgrass. All right? This is a super passage. I mean, just straight, gives you every, all the nutrients you need for like a week, all right, in this one passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, says this, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, God's workmanship, God's masterpieces, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Man, we have to start here. You are saved through faith. You are justified. And that word could be super, super uh, layman's term as possible. God has deemed you right in his eyes. He has said, not guilty. That's what that justified. You are right. You are righteous, all right? You are justified in his sight when you put your faith in Jesus. That's it. Say it again. You are saved by grace through faith. You are justified, made right in God's eyes. He sees you as not guilty, not responsible for your sin. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, one last time, you are declared righteous in God's sight. You are right with God, blameless in God's sight, when you believe in Jesus. This is what I'm trying to get at. You're not made right in God's sight when you obey the rules. All right? That was an experiment that they tried in the Old Testament, and guess what? Nobody really did it well with it. <laughs> they were trying to make themselves good enough. Gonna obey the law. The Pharisees, man, we're trying to make ourselves good enough in God's sight by obeying the law. Even Paul said, man, I had a righteousness about me when I obeyed the law. I had a righteousness, but I consider it dung, poop, compared to the righteousness that I get when I put my faith in Jesus. So if you are justified by faith at the beginning, at the onset, when you come to believe in Jesus, if you are made right in his eyes through faith, then why are we trying to, or why is it easy to feel like now to keep that justification, i got to follow the rules. i got to make myself good enough. All right? If you got it by faith, then don't you think you'll keep it by faith? Here's the insecurities I want to address this morning because I find them all in me, truthfully. I find them all in me. And so I, I usually tend to think if, 
uh, I'm not alone. You know, where there's one, there's two. So I feel like I'm sure some of you share this. Have you ever shared this insecurity? I gotta be perfect. I gotta obey the rules super well. I gotta be perfect. I gotta obey every single one of them. Because it's an insecurity born out of that I don't think God's, I gotta keep God's love. I gotta earn it. I gotta keep it. I gotta make sure it stays on me. So I gotta be perfect. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way? Maybe you felt like, golly, to keep God's salvation, I gotta be perfect. I gotta keep, you know, cross my T's, dot my I's, gotta make sure everything is good because I'm insecure in God's love for me. Man, what else? Man, I'm afraid. Insecurity number two, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of God's punishment. I'm just so afraid of God's wrath. Man, I kid you not, middle school, high school, oh God, God's going to, you know, I'm going to be like Moses, and I messed up for the last time, and God's going to say, no promised land for you, Grant. Oh, so afraid. So afraid. My goodness. So afraid. Mm. What motivates you? Kind of the point number two, and I just left it blank and gave you some space. But I want you to think as I'm talking and to write down, because maybe I won't hit that one that you're dealing with. But what motivates you to obey God? Truthfully, I mean, look deep. I mean, open up the hood, take some stuff out, and look down deep into that thing, and look at your soul down, reflect into your heart, and ask yourself a hard question and be super honest. What is the reason why I obey God's word? Why do I obey God at all? Am I afraid that he is going to make me suffer in life? Am I afraid of that? I'm afraid of his punishment. So I really just obey God's word because I'm just, I just don't want him to like mess with my life. <laughs> or kind of the flip side of that coin is I just obey God's word because I really just want blessings from him. I just want him to bless everything I'm doing. I want him to bless my life and, and my goals and to make my dreams happy and to give me health and, and peace of mind. And so I'm just, you know, trying to make God happy as I can so that, you know, he kind of, Gives the you know happiness back down to me. Is that you? What motivates you to obey God this morning? And talked about perfectionism. I feel like I have to be perfect, and if I'm not, then I feel insecure in my salvation. I don't know. Maybe I don't have salvation if I feel like I really go off the rails. Um, I'm afraid, you know, from a rule follower. I know I've experienced this where. I'm afraid that if I don't elevate rules to the number one, then I'll become laissez-faire. And that kind of freaks me out because I don't want to be laissez-faire with things. I don't want to fall into the mindset. I know we can, uh, it's really easy to kind of criticize uh, our culture and that, you know, they're just laissez-faire when it comes to sin. You know, they're kind of like, you know, focus real high on God's grace, God's mercy and stuff. But, you know, I can do whatever I want. No big deal. And so maybe you're like, I just don't want to be that. And so I have to make rules just top-notch. And I always got to be checking myself, making sure I'm obeying the rules. Man, try this on. We all know that we have a need, a deep, deep need in our souls and our hearts to feel significant, to have value, right? To have worth, even to feel special, right? Unique. We have something deep inside of us 
longing for that. We need that. And I kid you not, that, that, and that's that identity piece. We're kind of moving to that. That identity piece is, is I need significance. I need to be seen and, and you know, just to be seen as, as something special, right? As, as lovable, as I, it matters that I'm alive. We all have that need, that deep field need deep inside of us. And that identity will go after anything to get that. Um, I listened to a podcast one time. It said the number one reason why these like militant political groups will kind of arise, at least from this study, was that it gave them purpose. People would join them because they felt like they were somebody in those groups. Somebody gave them attention. Somebody gave them attention and said, hey, you have purpose. You have value. Even, if, even as we're doing terrible things or whatever, but it doesn't matter. I mean, to have a really horrible uh, example, you think of, of mass shooters, well, at least now I'm famous. I may be famous for something horrible, but at least people know me. At least they now see me. How horrible. That identity piece will go after anything. Golly, even in the church, even as follower of Christ, you know, I got to have significance. I got to have worth. I got to have value. So guess what? I'm going to try to get that as being a good Christian. I'm going to be a super Christian. Right? And I'm going to do such great things. And people in my community are going to see, man, that person, whoo, they got it. Boy, they are super good. So I'm constantly working hard. And I'm constantly trying to obey the rules. And I'm constantly keeping up burdens on my shoulders. Because it can be exhausting trying to protect this facade, this identity of I'm a good Christian. Gosh, you can even flip it on the other side. Right? I went to a Christian college. I had new people who were like, my identity is I'm a bad Christian. I'm, I'm the worst one of all of you. You know, you ever get that, get a group of guys, you know, everybody's got to one-up each other. And so it's like, oh, you sinned in this way? Guess how I sinned. You know, I sinned this way. Because, hey, if I got to be known, for, I want to be known for something. And even if it's bad, at least I'm known. At least I'm seen. At least I have some kind of niche that has my name on it. Guys, I, I could sit here all, all morning on this, and I hope you're writing these things down and, or thinking about deeply why truly, 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 uh, why do you obey God's word? Truly, truly, truly. And, and I love another podcast I listen to. Don't take your initial uh, intuition or your gut or your feelings or your, uh, what you think it is for granted. It doesn't necessarily mean that's right. For the longest time I've lived with, man, these desires are just so pure. It's not like I desire sin, but I have this dream. Oh, so pure. Oh, it's probably from my heart. Like, I have such a passion, such a passion to run, such a passion and desire, you know, truthfully, to run in the Olympics. I was like, gosh, this is such a beautiful dream. You know what's under that? The most insecure boy child that has to, that does not feel that they have significance and worth in what they are doing now. And so I have to go to the nth degree because what is most valued in our culture, Olympic athletes, probably the one of the highest. I mean, celebrity, Olympic athlete, you know, you name it, Fortune 500 CEO, right? And so I have to, I am so insecure that I have to go to the nth degree 
to prove that I have value, that I have significance, that I'm somebody. You see how it took me years to figure that out. I didn't notice it. I just thought, oh, this is just a dream inside of me. This is good, right? God put this dream inside of my heart, right? Don't take them for granted. Dive into them. See what's beneath the hood of these dreams, these passions that we have. And again, I want to say it over and over. What motivates you to obey God this morning? Is it just being motivated by some type of insecurity? I'm insecure in God's love for me. So I've got to keep proving it that I'm lovable. And so I keep obeying God because I've got to prove that I'm still lovable. Golly. Maybe you're insecure in God's love, so you have to go kind of the opposite direction and another way, and I've got to rebel against all God's word, and I've got to kind of do my own thing and then extend God's love to kind of cover me because I'm just so insecure in God's love for me. I just don't trust it. Man, we just sang about how good God is. I don't trust God's good, so because I'm insecure in that, I've got to do X, Y, and Z. It's motivating. Man, that could go on and on and on, brother. It's a toughie. Man, we talk about identity. We talk about insecurity. We talk about that a lot. But our identity. Man, our identity is one that we are saved by faith. Our identity is not one who can earn justification by works or by being good enough or by doing the right things or obeying the rules. Uh, that's just not who you are. And I think we've all probably come to a part in life where we've like, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that's not me. Uh, Jesus, yeah, but I, I'm not good enough. I, I've messed up too many times. And I think of other identity passages. John chapter 15, me, you are the branches. And Jesus is the vine, and God, the Father, is the vine dresser. That is an identity piece, an identity passage that says you are incredibly dependent on Jesus. You are 100% dependent on Jesus. I have this mandarin tree in my backyard. It's really my dad's, but I take care of it and do everything for it, okay? But <laughs> he's not here, so <laughs> don't tell him I said that. No, 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 no. <laughs> But I have it back there. It's great. It's growing mandarins right now. It's, I think it's love and life right now. Just got a bunch of rain last night. Love and life. Right? Golly, who removed one of those branches from the vine? That thing is not going to survive. That thing just will not last on its own. It can't. And you and me cannot last apart from Jesus, separated from him. That is part of your identity. Complete dependence on Jesus. Complete, 100%, not even 99%, 100%. That's our identity. That is who we are. I thought for the longest time, you know, I'm good enough. I grew up in a Christian home. I have a lot of what I would call uh, self-motivation, grit, a lot of strong-willed, you know what? I'm going to conquer this sin. I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix this bad habit. I'm going to fix this. I am going to make myself good enough. 30 years, and yeah, I mean, more than ample, you know, uh, opportunity for God to say, yeah, you still, you still want to try to ride that horse? All right, man, brother, you keep trying. I mean, I'll be here waiting for you. I love you, you know? 30 years to realize, like that song that Corey sang, but boy, this is going to be Jesus. 
this is going to be Jesus in my heart. And Jason really encouraged me with that this past week. Man, I come to Jesus just full on. Trusting that I was justified by faith. And now I come to him with faith. The same thing that I came to Jesus with now keeps me with Jesus. And I come to him by faith and I say, God, I believe that you can change this heart. That you can change these desires. And, 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 and all these insecurities that I have. And all these different ways I'm taking my identity and I'm trying to find significance and value and worth. And I give them to you and I surrender them to you. And I come to you and I ask you to change me. I ask you to change me. And I trust you. Faith, I trust you. You deemed me right in your eyes. And what's fun is, is in our culture, we like to parse things out, separate things. And I've done that so much in my life. And I easily could read Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10 and say, you know, yeah, he just, he just declares me right in his eyes. It's very like court hearing, okay, not guilty, boom, 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 move on. Next person, all right? And yet, what's great about, you know, first century culture is they were much more um, harmonious or things were far more connected. And I think for Paul, he would say, um, no, that's really dumb. Like, God just declares you righteous and then leaves you? No. God declares you righteous and then he gets to work and he makes you what he has declared you. And he transforms you. And what he declares you, this would be dumb for God to be like, not guilty, all right, move on, go live a life, you know, do your best. You know, no, 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 Paul would be like, heck no. No, he declares you not guilty, righteous in his eyes, and then he gives you his Holy Spirit to make that declaration so. It's called sanctification in the church. Thank God. Because as a Christian who's grown up in a Christian home, I don't have a time where I, I never was like not for God. Never never perfect, but never like, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, God. Peace. Alright? Never never did that. Never known that. And yet my entire life, yet my entire life, God just continues to show me. Uh, you can't do it on your own, Grant. You can't do it on your own. You're, you're not going to get to a place where you're disciplined enough to make this happen. Uh, to make your life about what I want it to be about, about my kingdom, not about you. Um, you're not going to get there on your own. You need me like the vine, like the branches need the vine. And so my, my strict rule following, to kind of, kind of circle back, I trade this strict rule, my, rule following mindset. Well, really, I just address the insecurities and the identity issues behind it have to address that. I have this really huge point, and I want you to work on that this week because um, we got to get there. If we don't want to make strict rule following the number one end goal of our life, then we have to address these insecurities and identities. But here's what's fun, and this is why I really, uh, really looking forward to this message. Then Grant, what is the mindset I'm to have? All right, maybe that's where your mind is going. Then what's the mindset I'm to have? Okay. And guess what? <laughs> the mindset you're to have is to follow the rules. <laughs> I don't know. I laughed all week. Maybe I'm the only one that finds that funny. <laughs> but the mindset is to follow the rules. Here's, here's how I'll make sense of this. T.S. Eliot, dude, love that dude, says this in one of his poems. 
kind of unrelated, but the idea of it, I think, is very related. He said this, and the end of all our exploring, and maybe I would say exploring is a kind of our symbolism of, and the end of all of our trying to make ourselves good enough in our own sight to justify ourselves, the end of all that exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Man, I got two examples to further hit this home. I'll make it clear. One of my favorite movies is A Knight's Tale. If you have not seen A Knight's Tale, watch it. I love A Knight's Tale. It is one of my favorite. It's the perfect movie. Action, comedy, great romance story, great bad guy, really well thought out conflict. Like, it's the perfect movie. It's wonderful. I, I absolutely love it. And what's great about the main character, uh, he's like a knight. It's set in medieval times, and he's a, a jouster, all right? He sits on a horse with a stick and called the Lance, hello, you right? Yeah, yeah, if you've seen the movie, you know, all right? But he jousts, right? And it's kind of uh, very, uh, you call it like anachronistic, so it's like our modern day like sporting event culture is like projected back onto this medieval times of jousting. So they got these stadiums and you got, you know, cold meat, hot wine, you know, tellers, things like that. It's really funny, it's a great movie. Uh, well, he comes, he's doing very well, but he's really interested in this woman. And he comes to this tournament in Paris, and he's meeting with this woman, and this woman asks him to lose the tournament. She says, I want you to lose the tournament to prove that you love me more than you love yourself. Ooh, I'm a sucker for good conflict. That is good. That makes a lot of sense. And he has a really hard time about this because he's like, no, losing just proves I'm a loser and stuff. She's like, no, it proves that you love me more than you love yourself. So he's conflicted. He's going back and forth. He's kind of mad. But what does he do? He ends up losing his first match on purpose, right? And what's great is after the match, he's getting worked on. He's getting his, like, his shoulder popped back into place and things like that. And he's just like, ah, oh, you know, gosh, I love her, but I hate her, you know, kind of thing. And her like friend, uh, this woman he loves, sends her friend and says, hey, now you've proven it. Now I want you to prove your love by winning this. And he's like, yeah, now I'm even more mad at you and stuff. But he ends up going out and winning the tournament. So what's great is he's come back to the beginning. He comes back to where he was, his mindset at the beginning of the tournament. I'm going to win this tournament. But because of the journey that he took of surrendering his self-love for this love for this woman, he's come back to where he already was, but changed, but different. Now doing it for a different reason, having a different heart. Think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son had a relationship with the father. <laughs> had a relationship with the father and said, you know what? I wish you were dead. I want my cut of the dough that I didn't even work for, but I just get because it's an inheritance. And I want to go do my own thing. So he leaves, does his own thing. Squanders as well. Participates in everything wrong and simple you can imagine. Breaks all the rules. And what does he do? He comes back. Back at the beginning, where he was, in relationship with the father, in his household, but undoubtedly changed and very different. And I imagine his relationship with the father very different. And that's what I'm trying to, to get at, is I think the mindset is still to follow the rules. But if it's, if it's motivated by these insecurities and these identity issues, then those have to be dealt with. Because that's always going to mess up with that rule-following mindset. And it's always going to come out in, in poor ways and in ways I just think are not healthy or good or right, all right? 
But if you deal with all those issues and you continue to surrender them to the Lord and you continue to give them to you and you allow God to transform you, I think you'll still come back to the beginning of, you know, I still have a mindset to follow these rules. It's just different now. I'm not doing it now to, to earn God's love. I'm not doing it now to justify myself and say, look at me, I'm good enough. I'm not doing it to prove that I'm a good follower of Christ and I want some credit. I'm not doing it for that. I'm not doing it out of fear of God's punishment. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to earn God's uh, blessing from God and a good life. I'm not trying to do it so that I feel significant and worth and value about myself and feel good about myself. I'm not doing it for any of those reasons. I'm doing it because I love God. I'm grateful that he has justified me by faith. Something we all can do, can't we? We can't all make ourselves good enough by obeying all of God's word, but I think we can put our faith in God and say, God, I surrender. I can't do it. I think we all can do that and say, God, I need you. And I need you to change this heart. And I need you to transform me. And I need you to do in me what I could never do for myself. I need you to make me righteous. God, I need you to break these sin strongholds in my life. I need you to humble me, God. I need you to make my life not about me and fulfilling all my wants, desires, and dreams, but to make it about your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on heaven, not my kingdom come and my will be done on earth. I need you to do that in me. I need you to help me to love you and to worship you and to put you first above myself. God, I need you to help me to love other people. I need you to help me to obey and to follow you and to trust you when it's hard. I need you to grow faith in me. I need you to grow and do all of this in me. And I just keep coming to you each and every day. This is my effort. This is how I put effort into work, to following God's word. I just continue to surrender and to continue to come back to God, continue to trust him that he is who he who began a good work in me is going to see it to completion. And he's going to accomplish this task inside of me. And I just keep coming back every single day. Every time an insecurity pops up, I just, God, I give it to you. God, help me with this. God, I have this identity issue, and I really want to go fulfill it over here and go do this thing. But I give it to you today, and I'm trusting you, and, and I'm not trying to trust that. God, help me. And just as you know, Ephesians talked about last week, man, Paul praying for the power of God's Spirit to work in our inner being. We need that, don't we? Boy, we need God's power this morning to surrender to it and to stop trying to justify myself and make myself good enough in God's sight. And, there, and, then, and then you can give God the credit, right? It's like, I want to be a good Christian. I want the credit. I worked hard. I made those decisions. I made those, you know, I had the right mindset. I'm working hard. I'm disciplined. I'm trying to be a good one. But if you surrender to God in all those ways and you constantly come to him, then when God does it, you're not like, yeah, I'm a self-made man, self-made Christian. But it's like, no, God did this in me. And, and I am great with that. Because <laughs> I get all the benefits, right? God's just bestowing gift upon gift. Boy, when we're, when we're running on insecurities and identity issues, heavy burden. Heavy burden. Always got to protect this image. Always got to project this image. Always got to work hard and make sure people are seeing me in a certain light. Am I good enough? Following the rules. Robotic, right? Heavy burden. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says, hey, you, 
you with a burden, come to me. I'll give you rest. Learn from me. Learn how to surrender to me. Learn how to receive me in your heart and to trust me. Learn how to do that, and I will make your yoke easy. And I will make your burden light. Man. It's kind of the last point, just really quick. A lot of it comes down to, you know, as we continue to do that, um, and this kind of maybe hits on that insecurity identity piece, is just to forget yourself. Forget yourself. Stop judging yourself. How well am I doing? How well am I following Christ? How well am I doing this? Am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? Forget about it. Forget yourself. Man, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. Paul. Paul. If anybody was like, you know, I, I can smell myself right now. I'm doing pretty good. Right? <laughs> anybody could do it. It would be Paul. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Timothy Keller wrote this really great little book, tiny book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And he uses this passage. And he says, look, even Paul was like, dude, I don't even care if you guys judge me. I don't even judge myself. I'm not even thinking about myself right now. My conscience is clear. That doesn't make me innocent. Paul wouldn't say, hey, I'm as clean as snow. No. But he's just like, hey, my conscience is clear. It doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Man, forget about yourself. Golly, I love, I think the, the, the greatest Christian on earth is the one who doesn't even know it. And I've heard that from philosophers. Uh, Kierkegaard holds up the knight of faith as his like ideal person. And he always says, they wouldn't even know they were a knight of faith. They'd be unaware of it. C.S. Lewis talks about uh, humility, the humble person. And he's like, a humble person wouldn't even know they're very humble. <laughs> they wouldn't be aware of it, right? You ever try to be, like, you ever really try to focus on being humble? Do you become more humble? No, you don't become more humble. You become more prideful in your humility, <laughs> right? It's one of those things. I've talked about happiness in the same way. You try to go after happiness in a direct line, you don't get happiness. You have to go a different way, and happiness kind of gets unaware to you, gets thrown in. And you kind of look back, and you're like, oh, I was happy. I wasn't trying to be happy, but oh yeah, I guess I was happy. It's, it's, it's something that kind of comes to us unawares. Um, it's just cool how certain things are like that. And I just love that and think that's so neat and important for us to get. We're constantly following the rules and constantly, constantly, following, constantly trying to follow the rules. We're constantly trying to judge ourselves, trying, trying to be good enough. I think you just become worse, <laughs> right? Timothy Keller kind of led on to this in Reasons for God, where he talked about, you know, an extreme example would be, uh, I think it would be, uh, what is it, Westboro Baptist Church, who uh, is like, man, we're going to go to funerals, and we're going to really kind of, you know, do all this kind of crazy protesting and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have brought that up at the end of the you know, sermon, but it's a little bit of a hot, touchy subject. Uh, but Timothy Keller's kind of like, you know what, you're, you're, you guys think you're radical. You're actually not radical enough. Uh, Jesus would have loved him. <laughs> and now I don't think he, he puts it in much better terms than that. 
Uh, but it's easy to, if you get so focused on the rules, you can be, you can find yourself really not fulfilling the spirit of these rules and really missing the main point. But you come to Jesus, come constantly surrendering to him, constantly aware that I'm imperfect, and God, thank God for your grace and mercy. Constantly come to that. I bet you you'll do a far better job of obeying the rules that way than if I'm, I'm, I'm going to fulfill all the rules. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. I kind of used the example of basketball last week, but we won't get into it because of time. Oh, good, my iPad turned back on. I was a little bit scared there. I'm going to do real quick. I know I'm running a little bit late, but there was a couple things that came up last week that I thought would be good to address. What do we do when other Christians aren't behaving well according to the rules? All right, that was a great question. Um, man, take everything I just said in this sermon and apply it. All right, let's move on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had a little bit more than that. Man, uh, I just hope you're really secure in God's love and not putting it as your kind of mission to, I got to correct everybody. Uh, or it's some insecurity is fueling behind you. I got to be a good Christian because I got to earn God's love. So I got to make sure I'm witnessing and I'm correcting everybody's morality. Um, I think you got to deal with that first. Um, or I think you need to address that. All right. I'll say something to that real quick. I think you, I think obviously as the Sermon on the Mount, why do you care about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank in your own eye? I think I counsel one person. You know, you come at it compassionately. I know I'm not perfect. But at the same time, I'll say this. It doesn't mean that we have to get it perfect in order to do it. I'm a big believer, and this is me. I'm a big believer and kind of uh, you, you work on it as you go. You don't wait for yourself to be perfect. You don't, I don't wait for, my, for an emotional feeling of, I feel generous today, so I'm going to tie no, I think you tie and you keep going. Emotions will follow. I think you, I need, I have a brother in sin. You know, I, I'm not going to wait for me to feel like I have it all perfectly worded and there's no insecurity driving it. My identity is secure. I think you've got to deal with all those things and you've got to check yourself before you go in there. Absolutely. But don't wait for yourself to be perfect in order to do it. Correct them. And do it in love. And do it to the best of your ability prayerfully. Asking God, because we know God's got to do that in our heart, right? Who among us changed those bad habits? Who among us saved ourselves? Not one of us. It was Jesus. So pray before, during, and afterwards. And if you don't do that, then you can have a good idea that, you know what? I'm just trying to, I'm a stickler for the rules, and I'm trying to get them on board with the rules. All right? But if I'm prayerfully praying over them, realizing this has got to be a work of the Holy Spirit in their life, and I'm going to pray before, middle, and after, and support them. And I think, man, you got it. You understand what's, what's going on here. That's good. But don't, again, don't have to be perfect. Keep giving to the Lord. Keep stepping out. We do want to be there for each other. We love each other. We want to be compassionate. We want to be patient. We don't want to beat people over the head. All right? And I think it's also to know, to correct someone is not judging them. Now, it's just our culture. I could get on soapbox about words and how words take on greater meanings and they expand and it's just really annoying. And for some reason, uh, correcting someone has now been deemed as judging someone. And then, you know, they'll throw Matthew 7. Look, we're not supposed to judge somebody, so we're not supposed to correct anybody and tell them what they're doing is wrong. I think that is just a word that has taken on meaning that is not what that word means. Judging someone would be like, you know what? Alina, you're the worst. You just are terrible in every way, and you're going to hell. 
That's judging. All right? Hey, Alina. I love you. You know I love you. <laughs> love you dearly. Love you dearly. Care about you. And I was once your age, and I'm coming to you, and I think what you're doing here is just not fair. And I think I can help you and prayerfully, you know, pray for you and support you along the way. That's not judging her. That's saying, hey, I love you, I care about you, and I'm there for you. What do we do when a non-Christian aren't behaving well according to the rules of the Bible? This is my opinion. Uh, I think of Jesus and the woman at the well. I think Jesus, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, had five husbands, and the man she was living with was not her husband. Jesus had all the ammunition he needed to say, hey, were you at my Sermon on the Mount? You know, I kind of talked about adultery, and do it. You need to, you know, that's not good. He had all the ammunition in the world to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And yet, he takes the opportunity to reveal his identity, that he is the Messiah. He has that ability. That's what I think maybe first, first things first. I think we need to get people, they're non-Christian, instead of going after the behavior, share the gospel that Jesus is real. That Jesus. Now, there we go. I like that. Thank you, John. Now you have a following Christians. Amen. Hope. Bam. Love that. Amen. That's right. Now you have a following Christians. Hey, Jesus is real. And, and gosh, I'd love to share the gospel. And I'd love to show what Jesus has done in my life. These are the reasons why I believe. And I want to come at it that, I think that's first step first. That's good. You can have the conversations about behavior later on. I 100% agree because rules matter. Don't hear me. They matter. It matters how we follow. But I think first things first, we're not converting them to a set of rules. Rules are not the number one thing. It's Jesus. Jesus is the kingdom. It's the reality that God is real, that Jesus is real, that he died for us kingdom is coming here on earth as it is in heaven. It will be there. And so let's point to that reality and to that and to who Jesus is. And then we can have a conversation of, okay, you believe in Jesus? Great. So now, all right, what does that look like to live this out, live out this faith? All right, well, this is what scripture says. And again, not judging you, but just loving you. There's more. That's by no means exhaustive, but I think those are good things to hear. So, conclusion. Why do you obey? Here's your homework. School's about to start up. You guys got homework. Here we go. Get you back into the thing. I know. Nobody, we don't, never graduate. Always got homework. Here we go. Why do you obey? What's your motivation to obey God's word? Man, get some thoughts down. Do some hard praying, some hard looking, asking, God, show me. Why do I truly obey your word? What insecurities need to be surrendered to Jesus? What does he bring up? What identity issues? Man, bring them to the Lord. Ask the Lord. Help me with these. Help me to to become aware of these things. And then finally, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid, in honor of that. (laughs) I can't say it. Surrender. Man, bring it to God. Bring those insecurities, those identities, those sin strongholds, those bad habits, whatever they may be. Surrender them to the Lord. Forget yourself. Stop trying to judge yourself. Am I doing it well enough? Am I doing good enough? Man, just, just get your eyes off yourself. doesn't mean you're not aware. Paul was aware. He, was, he said, I'm the worst of all sinners. He can be aware of that, but it's not like he's dwelling on that constantly and trying to, by his own might, make it right. Forget yourself. Stop thinking about yourself so much. 
Trust God. He will begin a good work in you. We'll see it to completion. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Right? Philippians 2. Trust him. He's doing this. And do your part by surrendering, by acknowledging, by having faith in God. And then go forth and obey. Obey. Amen? Amen. Sorry to keep you a little bit longer. Well, let's wrap it up. If you'll stand with me, we'll close in prayer.